Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Matt Bullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of non-typhoidal salmonella found under the microbiology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 20-year-old student presents to the College Health Clinic for evaluation of vomiting and diarrhea. He had recently seen an ad for a new fad diet, the raw egg diet for bodybuilding purposes. For the past two days, he has had a raw egg with each meal. However, today he started having abdominal cramping, non-bloody and non-bilious vomiting, and diarrhea with some blood in it. On physical exam, his abdomen is soft and non-distended and somewhat tender to palpation. His mucous membranes are dry. Let's continue with an introduction to non-typhoidal salmonella. As a reminder, non-typhoidal salmonella species are classified as modal, non-lactose-fermenting gram-negative rods and are an endotoxin-producing bacteria. They are transmitted via consumption of contaminated foods and they cause enterocolitis. The most common type of species is Salmonella enteritidis. In terms of the epidemiology, this is a common cause of diarrhea in the United States. Demographically, it affects all ages. Risk factors include eating poultry, particularly if it is undercooked or raw, and reptile pets such as turtles. In terms of the pathogenesis, it is inactivated by gastric acids, so a large inoculum is required and the VI antigen blocks antibody attack on the O antigen, and it invades the mucosa in the ileocecum. In terms of the prognosis, this is typically a self-limited disease. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include nausea and vomiting, diarrhea which may be bloody, abdominal pain, and myalgias. On exam, one will typically note a fever. In terms of further studies, Lab should include a culture of the blood or the stool. And when making the diagnosis, this is based on clinical presentation and laboratory studies. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about salmonella typhi infection, with distinguishing factors being that patients typically present with a pink macular rash, and this is associated with typhoid fever. With regards to treatment, remember that antibiotics are typically not indicated and have actually been shown to prolong the duration of disease. Conservative options include supportive care. This is indicated for all patients. Specific modalities include hydration and correction of any electrolyte imbalances. And lastly, complications may include shock. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to non-typhoidal salmonella, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 30-year-old man presents to the emergency room complaining of malaise. Two hours prior to presentation, he developed muscle cramps and nausea. He has had three episodes of non-bloody, watery stools since his symptoms started. He reports that he has experienced similar symptoms multiple times over the past five years since he started working at his local zoo as a reptilian caretaker. His medical history is unremarkable. He takes fish oil and a multivitamin daily. His temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 130 over 90. Pulse is 90 beats per minute. 
respirations are 17 breaths per minute. On exam, he demonstrates sensitivity to bright light. He is tired appearing, but alert and fully oriented. A stool sample and culture demonstrates abundant non-lactose fermenting, oxidase negative, and hydrogen sulfide producing gram-negative bacilli. The pathogen responsible for this patient's condition relies on a virulence factor with which of the following mechanisms of action. And the answer choices are, choice one, ADP ribosylation of elongation factor two. Choice two, binding the FC region of host immunoglobulins. Choice three, blocking antibody attack on the O antigen. Choice four, cleaving immunoglobulin A molecules. Or choice five, cleaving lecithin. The best answer to this question is choice three, blocking antibody attack on the O antigen. The patient in this vignette presents with malaise, nausea, diarrhea, fever, and a history of exposure to reptiles, which is suggestive of Salmonella enteritidis gastroenteritis. Salmonella enteritidis expresses the VI antigen virulence factor that blocks antibody attack on the O antigen. Salmonella enteritidis is one of the most common causes of gastroenteritis, in addition to causing septicemia in the elderly and osteomyelitis in patients with sickle cell disease. It is a gram-negative bacillus that can be differentiated from other gram-negative bacilli in that it is also non-lactose fermenting, oxidase-negative, and hydrogen sulfide producing. Salmonella enteritidis uses the VI antigen on its surface to block a host antibody attack on the O antigen. The O antigen is an important component of lipopolysaccharide, also known as endotoxin. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice one, ADP ribosylation of elongation factor two is the mechanism of action of exotoxin produced by Corinibacterium diphtheriae, a gram-positive bacillus. Choice two, Binding the FC region of host immunoglobulins is the mechanism of action of protein A, a virulence factor produced by Staphylococcus aureus to evade the host immune system response. Choice three, cleaving immunoglobulin A molecules is the mechanism of action of IgA proteases, a group of enzymes secreted by Neisseria gonorrhea, Neisseria meningitidis, Haemophilus influenza, and Streptococcus pneumoniae. Choice four, Cleaving lecithin is the mechanism of action of lecithinases, a group of enzymes produced by Clostridium perfringens, Staphylococcus aureus, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Listeria monocytogenes. Finally, a bullet summary. Salmonella enteritidis is a gram-negative bacillus whose major virulence factor is the VI antigen, which blocks host antibody attack on the O antigen. That's all for this review about non-typhoidal salmonella. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. 
Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 1 Podcast.